right now. We're going to go over to Romans chapter 8. And believe it or not, we are going to finish Romans chapter 8 tonight. Now, that that part of me that likes everything decently and in order and, you know, even somewhat OCD-ish of me is having a hard time ending on part nine. It's not an even number. And, uh, but I'm not going to delay it. We're not going to go to part 10 just so we can have a nice round number. All right. Um, we're we're going to finish it out on, on part nine tonight. And uh, we have um, five verses to cover, but uh, it all pretty much goes together very easily. So it's not a lot, of, uh, a lot of different thoughts mixed together. It really flows as one final thought. And so it'd be pretty easy for us this evening. But over in Romans chapter 8, uh, in just a, that one last final emphasis on the chapter is to remember as a whole, we said that the, the chapter um, gives a main theme of understanding dealing with the security of Christ in us through the Spirit. And so the security of knowing that, according to the Bible, Christ dwells in through the Spirit, but also that we are, He is in us and we are in Him. And, uh, and by the way, our, our connection to the Father is, we'll see in a minute even, through Christ Jesus our Lord. And, uh, and so it is the security of Christ in us through the Spirit and the security of us being in Christ through the Spirit. And so all of that, that security is the biggest focus of, of chapter 8 um, in, in my personal opinion of reading it and laying out what would be a, a good theme. And then uh, the key verses would be verse 15 and 16. Uh, and I will read those tonight as we close out. But it says in verse number 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That is the spirit of bondage in sin. You've not received that uh, to fear, but ye have received the spirit, capital S, dealing with the spirit of God, the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, and uh, verse number 16 says, the Spirit, capital S, dealing the Spirit of God, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so it is the Spirit of God uh, and the dwelling within the child of God that gives the confidence to the child of God of being in Christ, connected to the Father. Through the Spirit of God. And so that security is built around knowing who I am in Christ through the Spirit of God and what Christ wants to do in me through the Spirit of God as well. So that is the main focus here of Romans chapter 8. Now we've been looking at, uh, I'll just give you that quick run over. Very fast, we said that you could break, break this chapter down into four sections um, and those four sections would be verse 1 through verse number 11, dealing with the, the, the idea and the thought of life in the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit of God, life in the Spirit of God. And then uh, verse 12 to verse number 17 is as Paul explaining the understanding of debtors, which we are, we are debtors, we are in debt to the one who has forgiven us. We are debtors made heirs. And, uh, and therefore, we are heirs 
with Christ, but as a whole, we are in debt to God. And though I owe him everything, he has told me by his word that he has made me an heir of all that he has waiting for the child of God and a joint heir with Christ. And, uh, and so we are debtors made heir. Then the third section is 18 to verse number 30 uh, is the anticipation of promised glory. He covers a lot of details. We spent a lot of time uh, in that third section uh, dealing with the, the anticipation of what God has promised for the child of God, knowing that in this life we suffer, in this life just because you're a child of God, just because you know you're saved, just because you know you have an eternal home waiting for you, doesn't mean that all your problems disappeared in this life. Matter of fact, uh, we, it's been said many times and it's accurate and should be re- we should be reminded of it on a regular basis. When you choose uh, Christ and you choose to is- receive Christ as your Savior, you become a child of God. In that moment, you become the gra- one of the greatest enemies to Satan. Now, he hates us to begin with, but when I become a child of God and the Spirit of God now dwells in my life, as the Bible tells us it does, now that the Spirit of God dwells with me, the one he hates the most now dwells in me, that individual whom he hated already, now the one he hates the most dwelling in that which he hates already, he just hates it doubly. Can't stand us. Can't stand who we are because God loves us. Can't stand what we become when God forgives us. And so you have an enemy now that uh, may not be able to take away your salvation, but he sure would like to take away your opportunity to have an impact in others and in the lives of others in hearing the gospel. And so therefore, if he can destroy your reputation, if he can strip you of your joy, if he can take everything away from you in this life but your salvation, he'll do the best thing he, best he can to strip you of everything possible if you'll let him. He knows he can't, can't remove your salvation because it is not kept by him. It is not kept by us, by you or me. It is kept by the one who saved, and that is God. He keeps us. Therefore, Satan cannot remove us from the forgiveness that we have received and from God's glorification he plans on the life of those who receive Christ as their Savior. He can't strip us of that, but he'll do everything else that he possibly can If we allow him to. So we have an enemy to begin with. And when we become a child of God, he doubly becomes our enemy and hates us even more and wants to destroy your testimony. So what does that say? Say, preacher, that's not very encouraging. No, it's just reality. So what that tells you is in this life, you will have tribulation. In this life, there will still be suffering. And that's what Paul focused on in verse number 18 to verse number 30. There were times where he talked about the evidence of the curse of sin. Uh, He talked about what hope actually is. He talked about our helper, our intercessor, our confidence. And he talked about the purpose found in God's preeminence and understanding. But before all of that, he dealt strictly with the comparison of this present situation we find ourselves in and the future promise of glorification that is awaiting us when we meet the Lord face to face. And he said that the sufferings of this present time are not to be compared with the glory that awaits. And we find all of that in in chapter 8 here, verses 18, verse number 30. Now we've been dealing with the last section, 
which is verse 31 through verse 39, and dealing with God's everlasting love. Now, we've already dealt with the conclusion of the matter. You know, who can defeat God's people with God on their side? In other words, who, who is it that's going to come against those who have been forgiven and, uh, and overcome them that have been forgiven and take away that which they have been given? No one. No one has the power to overcome God. And if God's on our side, we are his child, then, then I have a sure protection of that which has been entrusted to his care. And um, also we saw that God's past actions give hope in his future promises. If God did what he did in giving his son, how would he not give all things to us? Those things, not, not everything I want, everything I need. If he provided everything that was necessary through his son, he did not withhold his only begotten son for that which was needed to bring me salvation. Why would he withhold that which I need as his child forgiven of sin? Why would he withhold that which I need when he wouldn't withhold his own son for salvation? So in this life, I look at what he has done and it gives me that confidence and hope in his promises that he will give all that I need to face this life and be victorious in this life. He'll provide all that I need. He did not hold back his own son. He will not hold back that which I need in this life to live according to his word as a child of God. So uh, we looked at that. Then we saw the security of his keeping and, uh, and that is the fact that it is God that justifieth, and it is Christ that paid the price for sin. Therefore, you know, who can remove? Who can take away? Uh, who can overcome in those areas? No one. Who is it that can condemn and say, well, I, as far as I'm concerned, there's no way you could be saved. You can't be saved and, and be that. You can't be saved. Now, again, I should say it's, it's true. A child of God should be living like a child of God. A child of God should be representing that which they have received. Uh, a child of God should not be a disgrace to the very grace that they were given. But who is it that's going to say, well, you're not saved, and I've declared it because I don't think I see what, what's supposed to be there. Hold on a second. Did you die for them? Did I die for them? Did I pay the price, or did Christ pay the price? Who is the only one that truly knows if an individual has dealt with God personally and has truly received forgiveness by repentance and faith in Christ? Who is it that knows for sure? Well, the individual should have confidence in what they've done, but there's only one that knows 100% for sure if every individual has been real and, and, and honest with God and received the blood of Jesus Christ through repentance of sins and asked God to forgive them of those sins. Only one knows and only one controls that, and that is God himself. God is the one that justifieth. Christ is the one that paid the price. Clear, not unblinded view of who they are and what they really need for the security of the believer to know they're saved. Some people actually have faith in everything else but Christ while at the same time thinking that they are trusting in Christ. And it's called blinded. And we have to understand that when you see that which doesn't appear to be representative of a child of God, yet a person claims to be a child of God, it should draw us to fall to our knees and say, Lord, not to place a condemnation from someone who is unworthy myself, but just to say, Lord, if they're not saved, help them to see 
that what they're trusting in is not real, that they need Christ and Christ alone. That's what it should draw us to do. But let me, let me just give you this, because the security of his keeping is in the fact that God justifies and Christ is the one that paid the price. But here's the last of it, the, the, the verse number 35 to verse number 39. It's the strength of his love and forgiveness that is seen. Very powerful verses. Verse number 35. After dealing with um, all that information, let me read verse number 31 down to 34. What shall we say, then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us. So you have all of that that I just talked about all right there. Then he goes into verse number 35 and he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now this is the strength of of his love, God's love and forgiveness. The question is presented in verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? He's saying, who's going to separate us from the love of Christ? And may I say, and what he's saying is, God Almighty. Who's going to separate us from the love of Christ, who is God Almighty? Who's going to separate us? Can the tribulations we face, or the distresses, or the persecutions, or the famines, or the nakedness, or peril, or sword? Can any of these things remove us? From the love of God? May I say, and you find that that's the question he presents. But then the very next verse, in verse number 36, he gives the reason he asks that question. As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Now that, that reference that he's saying, as it is written, it's referring back to Psalm 44 and verse number 22. And pretty much verbatim in what he said. Now, Psalm Psalm thirty, um, Psalm forty four, uh, in particular, if you go back and read that passage, it's got several different things. I, I was reading and, and studying some of that, and and, and looking at, it, I thought, wow, there's a whole message just in that one chapter. We might visit that one day. But as a whole, as you read the entire chapter, what you find is uh, that, that is being written, it's being said, and it's a lamenting. I mean, there, there is very grievous all that is being said and all that's being presented. Even some things you look and say, oh my goodness, that, I don't know, I don't know that, you know, the psalmist should have said that concerning God. I mean, he even talks about, you know, oh, awake, oh, awake thou that sleepest Lord. Uh, you know, and what he, he's not commanding God to wake up like God is asleep. But what he's saying is it feels like God has fallen asleep on us. It feels like God has forgotten us. It feels like we, we, we haven't, we have not done the greatest, but we haven't fully forsaken you, Lord. Why are we going so long through all of this? And, and the reason is, when you look at that time frame, he's lamenting over the long suffering of Israel in captivity. And he said, well, how long are we going to face this? How long are we going to deal with this? The enemies of God seem to just constantly overpower us. And, and so he's saying, you know, we're, uh, he, he gives that, that statement 
that you see in, in, in verse number 20, uh, 36, for, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. What the psalmist was saying over in, in, in Psalm 44 is, Lord, it's because we're your people. We're being attacked. Where are you? Why don't you save us from it? Why don't you deal with this thing now? And so it's a long lamenting. And what, what Paul is saying is he's talking to Jews. He's talking to the people of Israel. And he's telling them, you know, hey, it's been written. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, from the love of God Almighty? Who's going to separate us from that love? As it is written, even if you go back to the time of great lamenting, and the fact that for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Even if you look at how awful it can get for the child of God, even if you look at how difficult life can be and it feels like we're being attacked on every side, he still said, with that in mind, who can separate us? Who is it that can really rip us away from the God who controls it all? And so you see the question presented in verse number 35 concerning the everlasting love of God and the, the grip that God has through his grace on his people. He says, who can separate us from the love of God? What can get in the way between us and God? Even if you consider the worst of the worst days of the history of the children of Israel, and they talked about how we're just taken like sheep for the slaughter. Even if you think of a child of God in that aspect, who can separate us? The worst of the worst days, the hardest of the hardest days, and all the things you face. And then he goes into verse number 37 and presenting the confidence. So you have the question, you have the reason he, he presents that question, thinking, consider the worst of the worst days, consider the hardest of days of suffering, and yet still ask the question, who, who is it that can actually separate us? Can anything separate us from the love of God? Then the confidence, verse number 37, he says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He said, not only can nothing separate us, but even in the worst of the worst situations, even in the hardest fight of your life, as a child of God, and everything seems to be against you in this world, and, and your, your enemy, Satan, is just seems to be on you in this world, and all these things seem to be tearing at you and pulling at you. He said, hey, nay, no, none of it can separate you. In all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He didn't say we are more than conquerors, period. People love to just use that statement. We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. No, no, finish it. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Not only can we not be separated from his love, it's because it is through him and by him I have the strength and ability to be more than just, well, I can conquer that. No, no, I can be more than conquering. What does that mean? He's like, you can thrive regardless of the frustration. You can thrive, conquer and thrive, conquer and thrive. You're more than just conquerors, more than just overcoming. You're overcoming and then moving on with great victory and glory, not by yourself and not because of what you can do, but we are meant to be more than conquerors through him.
that loved us. Loved us how? Enough to send his only begotten son that whosoever should believe believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so therefore, we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us to send his son who died for us, who loved us enough to give his life to die for us. And through all of that, because I've received the forgiveness of sins, I also now have the promise that through him, I can do nothing without him, But with him, I can do all things. And through him, I am more than a conqueror. I'm more than just an overcomer. It's not, well, with God, I can do this. No, with God, I can not only do this, but with him, I can do it with the right spirit. With him, I can do it and not lose my joy. With him, I can do that which is impossible and not lose who I am as a child of God. I can do it and not lose my testimony. That's more than just conquering. That's conquering with emphasis. But without him, don't forget, we can do nothing. So therefore, it is the fact of being in him and him in me, and now through him that loved us, I am able to be more than conquerors, and nothing can separate me from the love of God. We see that last little bit, the answer. So you have the question, what can separate us? The reason he says it is because you think back, worst days, hardest days, and you wonder if God's anywhere around. Okay, in those days when you really wonder where God is, ask yourself the question, could I possibly be separated from him? Nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him. So is it possible for anything to separate us from the love of Christ? What is the love of Christ? It is the forgiveness of Christ on people who don't deserve forgiveness. It is the love that is given not only to the opportunity of being saved, but it is the love that is proven through the the fact that God keeps his promise on those who will receive him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is the love received through the promise of salvation. And if I am held and, and, and kept within his love, and kept within his promise and kept within his care. What can separate me from that one who keeps me secure? He goes on in verse number 38 and verse number 39 to fully answer the, the entirety and the, and the finishing out of that question. It says, for I am persuaded. It kind of continues the confidence, but also now presents the answer. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Paul just ends with that emphasis and all these things, and all these issues, and all, all the situation we face, when we're talking about the everlasting love of God, and then we're especially honing in on the everlasting love of God that has been uh, received, accepted, and seals me as a child of God when I accept Christ as my Savior. It's not that He loved me just to die for me. I have now received that which He offers through that sacrifice, and now I am placed within His care. I I am held 
in his hands. I am uh, basically held by Christ. I am, the, and Christ is held by the Father, and then the Holy Spirit seals the entire deal. And with all of that, there is nothing that can remove, remove me. There is nothing that can separate me. Even no matter what I face in this life, no matter how long and how hard I have to face the struggles and the issues and the attacks within this life, nay, in all things, I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. And I, by the way, in the end, it should bring me about to this answer for myself. I am persuaded i am convinced i cannot be unpersuaded i am rock solid on the fact that neither death nor life nor angel nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of god which i have received in christ jesus my lord you say preacher you changed the bible no i just made it personal pronoun for me that's what it is. It's not just a statement in general. It's a personal statement that you can basically put if you want to. Let's just do it this way. I'm going to give it to you this way. You could do it for yourself, but I'm going to do it for me. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate Bobby Decker from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, his Lord. It's that personal. And all of this, chapter 8, in closing all of that up, again, it comes back to, and this is why I said the main theme of the security of Christ in us through the Spirit of God. He is in me, and I am in him. And there ain't nothing that can separate me from the love that I've received through salvation. Thank the Lord for an everlasting God who has an everlasting love that's not taken back just because I ain't perfect yet. I may not be perfect in body and in mind and in actions in every way, but I have a perfect salvation that is not flawed in any way. And it's kept by God himself. And I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within me. Amen. Good stuff. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for...